Welcome to Needs More Words, a podcast about writing and reading because we're all stuck on something. I'm Vicki. And I'm Margaret. This is our first episode of 2022, but we're living in the past and shall instead talk about 2021 because our schedule got thrown off a little bit. Oops. Yeah, these things happen. What is time anyway? Fake. Exactly, exactly. So, without further ado, it's time for our annual favorite books of the year. Do, 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 do. Before we get to that, let's talk about what we are reading and writing. What are you reading and writing since we last recorded? It's been a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit. As predicted, I did not come remotely close to winning Nano. But I did finish with about 27,000 words. So I got about halfway there. That's pretty good. And what I consider a bit of a win is... I didn't feel immense dread about opening the document on December 1st. Yay! Yeah, so I'm continuing along with that at a leisurely pace. I've also been doing quite a bit with fan fiction. Last night on New Year's Eve, because I'm cool. Very. I posted a fanfic about Harrison Dula, and this might be a new record for us mentioning Harrison Dula. Yeah, yeah, within the first, like, two minutes of the show. But yes, yeah, so about Harrison Dula and Brea Organa hanging out at a cafe while Leia, Sabine, and Holdo go do a mission at a teen dance club. And I really hope that all five Brea Organa fans are happy. And then the other thing I'm working on is there was this post floating around Tumblr about the idea of a slow burn fic, but written by an impatient person. <laughs> so it's still a slow burn, but the narrator gets increasingly passive aggressive. Okay. I like it. That's fun. <laughs> so I decided this would work well as an early relationship Zoe and Wash pick where Wash loves Zoe, but is too stupid to say anything. And Zoe loves Wash, but is too stupid to realize it. Hmm. And the narrator has had it with both of them. Are they going to get called knuckleheads at some point? Absolutely. Because that's what they are. Yes, they are such knuckleheads. Oh, Sarah McLean, we love you. There will also be an italicized O and commentary from the narrator about the fact that there is an italicized O. <laughs> because I am just leaning into all the tropes with my exasperated narrator. Sounds about right, yeah. So th th there's a lot of my favorite relationship dynamic going on here. Because, <laughs> of course, that's a big thing in the Nano Project, but they're already married. They have a kid. It's all... <laughs> They got past any stupidity already. The narrator has got taken a nap. <laughs> Their knuckleheadness has been dealt with. Yes. So what are you writing? So what what is writing again? I'm not sure. It is the act of assembling words into sentences. Oh, oh, I don't like that. No need to do that. I have not been writing a lot. I didn't get very much farther with my Yano project than our last episode, but I still, you know, got you know, a decent amount written. I'm still pretty happy with what I got. I would have liked to get more, but honestly, November was just not a great month for me. And December was kind of December. It's hard to get anything done in December. Yeah. Uh, I also did not make the final round of NYC Midnight, so I did not write for that. Yeah, I basically did not write. So in mean, our next episode, we're going to be talking about our writing goals for the year and looking back at the ones from last year and how badly I failed at all of them. I'm hoping to figure out a way to get back on the train, but didn't happen at the end of 2021. 
So uh, let's just move on. And what are you reading? Oh, but before I do that, I should probably mention Frankenstein was the scientist is actually out. Oh, yes. Yeah, so the latest issue of Polar Borealis has it and link in the show notes. And we'll probably tweet it a couple more times. Yeah, go read it and enjoy one of Margaret's many things inspired by spite. I'm such a happy person. I'm a very spiteful person. Yeah, I, I really, I didn't know this about you until we started doing this show and I realized how much spite is fueling everything. I, I use it productively. I guess. So it, it doesn't fester. That is good. Yes. That's what we're going with. Sure. So what are you reading? So in order to hit my Goodreads goal last night, I read the third trade of Dr. Afra. was mostly read to hit my Goodreads goal. It was also read because Hera was in it. Of course. Unfortunately, I feel like the writer hadn't actually seen Rebels because I was not at all happy with her characterization. She was actually kind of mean. Was the art nice at least? I didn't like the way they drew her. Oh. Like Dr. Aphra herself was kind of fun. These comics might be the one of the weirder corners of Star Wars. I enjoyed Hera flying six or seven X-Wings at the same time, but that was basically the high point of her appearance. And it was the first panel. I'm also reading Blame It on the Mistletoe by Beth Garrett, which is a contemporary YA that came in a subscription box, which you might have guessed that it came into my hands in an unusual way because I don't typically read contemporary YA. Yeah, it didn't exactly sound like a you book, but... Yeah, it's cute. I also feel like I'm having a... I'm not the target audience for YA, and sometimes I enjoy it anyway. I feel like this is a YA novel that's going to resonate much more with the target audience and not have the crossover appeal of a lot of the genre stuff. Yeah, there's a, a new Buffy the Vampire Slayer sequel YA novel about, I believe, Willow's daughter becoming a slayer or something. I'm not entirely sure, but it's written by Kender Blake, who wrote the Three Dark Crown series that I like so much. And some of the earlier reviews I'm hearing are, you, just, you know, keep in mind this is a YA novel. Yeah, I... This book, it's really voicey, which I know is very common in contemporary YA, and it's dual POV, and the voiciness on one of the POVs is a lot. But again, I might have, I might feel differently about this if I was 16 and not 36. Yep, we feel different about a lot of things, I think. Yeah, yeah. so I'm enjoying the book well enough, but it was never in any danger of upending this list. So let's put it that way. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. So what are you reading? So I just finished the graphic novel, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me, which in my head, I always think Laura Dern keeps breaking up with me. That would be a very different story. Yeah, I don't want Space Dern to break up with me. She's so great. So this was uh, written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Rosemary Valero O'Connell. So it's a graphic novel about a girl who uh, is, as you might guess from the title, is in a not particularly healthy relationship with Laura Dean. So Freddie's our main character, and she's sort of not exactly a popular kid where Laura Dean is popular, funny, and cute and stuff. And definitely Laura Dean is a pretty bad girlfriend. It was a pretty fun little story of Freddie as she you know, sorts out her life, realizes that sometimes she's being a bad friend and maybe she should stop being a bad friend. And also she should probably break up with Laura Dean. Yeah, this relationship does not sound like it has long-term prospects. No, and I mean, they're in high school. So like how many relationships in high school have long-term prospects? But this one, even by high school standards, is uh... educational. Yes, yes. Hopefully Freddie learns a lot along the way. 
So apparently we're, we're both reading about teenagers. Yes. I wouldn't say Laura Dean is necessarily YA, but it's definitely something that you could easily give to a teenage girl. And hopefully she would learn some of the red flags and not end up like Freddie herself. It's nice when you could learn it from fictional characters' mistakes instead of your own. <laughs> okay, so I guess that wraps up this section. So we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with our main topic about our favorite books of the year. Yay, favorites! All right, so we're going to talk about our favorite books of the year. First, though, we are going to take a look at our Goodreads challenges and how uh, they got a little less ambitious as the year went on and turned out to be, well, 2021. Yeah, it was a weird year. <laughs> was. I mean, I, I started out with my goal at 100 because that's been my goal the last couple of years. I've never managed to hit it so far, and this was not the year to break that streak. I dropped it to 80 at some point, and then I eventually dropped it again to 60. And I had dreams of reading all the graphic novels and comics and getting there, but I only got to 49. Almost halfway to 100. Yeah. I have to admit, I toyed with the idea of dropping it to 50 on December 31st and then getting one more book done. But then that was too much effort anyway, and I didn't even get to 50, so whatever. (laughs) Yeah, so mine started at, I think, 35. Last time I'd actually hit it without cheating was 40 in the before times. Mm -hmm. So I'd set it to 35, which was just a little more than I'd managed in 2020. This proved too ambitious for 2021 being 2021 and somehow even more discombobulating. Yeah, my cousin called it emotional whiplash. And I'm like, yes, that sounds about right. So I did hit my goal. Yay! Because I dropped it to 20 a couple months back when I realized I had two months to go and one of them was NaNoWriMo. Yeah, that's fair. And in fine tradition, I hit that 20 by, well, reading that Dr. Afro comic last night. (laughs) I mean, there is a reason the last book I finished of the year was a graphic novel because I could finish it in a few hours. Yeah, that year I hit the 40. I think I finished the comic at 11.45. My goal would never be anywhere near 100 if it didn't intend to include a fair number of graphic novels. Yeah, and I almost don't dare make a New Year's resolution because New Year's resolutions feel too much like plans. And we've learned about making those, apparently. Yeah, no plans. Plans are bad. What do you reckon is the average number of performances of Hamilton one has to have tickets to before one sees Hamilton? Hopefully four. This will be the fifth, technically the fifth one we've had tickets to. The point is, we've had too many tickets to too many different productions of Hamilton that did not happen. But I am going to try to make sure I spend 15 minutes a day reading actual books, not fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to do the same. I, I just set my goal today and I, I put it at 60 again this time just because I feel like maybe I'm going to, you know, if I could just maintain about what I did this year and I can always make it bigger if I really get into a groove, so... I haven't set mine yet, but I might try for 25. I always make it bigger than what I read the year before, but I don't feel like 100 is in the cards for me for 2022. Clearly, I never did quite figure out how to read without my commute, (laughs) but I'm hoping to just carve myself out 15 minutes a day. That's kind of like having the commute. Yeah. And that'll add up. I'm hoping a lot of times that 15 minutes will turn into more than 15 minutes, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. 
But we did still get some books read. Yes. And we really liked some of them. I actually gave an absurd number of five-star ratings this year out of my 20 books. I don't know how many I gave five stars to you, but everyone on this list I did. So there's that. So our first category is our favorite fiction book, which has to be prose to differentiate it from graphic novel and comic, which comes later. Yes. And I have two, which given that I gave like six five-star ratings to fiction out of the 20 books I read, narrowing it down to two was impressive. So the first is A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher, aka the book Tess got three pages into before informing me I had to read. Yes, I said I really should make that one of my first reads of this year because just based on that title alone, it should be read. It's about a baker's apprentice who gets dragged into a whole bunch of shenanigans and has to find a way to defend the city from an invading army. And again, her magic only works on dough. At one point, there are giant gingerbread men doing a defensive can-can. Yeah. And I mean, it's also won the Hugo for YA. Yes. I think it won a Nebula as well. It's done very well. It's a very well-reviewed and enjoyed book. Yeah. And the other thing I really enjoyed about it is it kind of grapples with, they called us heroes and gave us medals and called it a siege so that they don't have to talk about how they left us on our own. And it doesn't shy away from the fact that, yes, you got your very young protagonist saving the day. And the fact that she's the one who has to do it means a whole bunch of adults let her down. Yep. And as we're going to find as a theme on my list this year, for some reason, there are war crimes. (laughs) Yes, it was the war crimes year. And speaking of war crimes, my other favorite this year was Victory's Price by Alexander Freed, a.k.a. Shadow Son. Yes, surprising no one. And to uh, make this cheating and picking two books, which I totally did not do for a favorite nonfiction, but to make it a little more allowable, we agreed to share Victory's Price because it was one of my favorite books of the year as well. Yeah, it was really good. And not just because Hera's in it. No, Hera, that helped. Yes, and out of the Alphabet Trilogy... Harrow was fine in the first two books, but I feel like he may have actually really sat down and gotten into her character for this one. She got a lot more POV and it, it dealt a lot more with a lot of what I love about the character. And then we also had all our other wonderful screw ups. Our poor alphabet squadron knuckleheads. I, I will try to avoid us needing the R2 sound effect, <laughs> but I spent a lot of time yelling about Soren Keys. But the other thing I yelled an awful lot was, make better choices. So I was reading this book while I was in Toronto for Fan Expo and definitely got the point where I was sitting there on on your love seat reading and suddenly was like, no, Will, this is the worst decision you have ever made in this series. And that is saying something. Yes. I'm like, no, Will, that's a terrible decision. Wouldn't have narrowed it down, but the worst decision you've made, I didn't know exactly which decision he'd just made. Oh, Will. Sweet, sweet cinnamon roll, Will. You know who made even worse choices than Will? Erica? Erica. Yeah, she she's just a bad choices incarnate. There was also that Star Destroyer captain who Hera basically did tell to think about his life, think about his choices. 
sadly, uh, not as effectively as Obi-Wan with the death stick guy. Yeah, she, she told him to make better choices and he didn't. So she killed him <laughs> and blew up his Star Destroyer. These things happen. And one of the things I love about Victory's Price is it hurt, but not always necessarily in the ways that I was bracing for it to hurt. Yeah, there's also, it's very rare for me for, like, if it's a trilogy, almost always the middle part is my favorite. Or the first book is my favorite because the next two books are sort of have dwindling returns. Yeah. It is very rare for the third book to be my favorite. But this one is definitely my favorite. He stuck that landing. All emotional damages are payable to the good folks at Del Rey. It's in his contract. Yeah, we should uh, get in on that, see what they'll uh, send us for our therapy bills. By the way, we most strongly recommend listening to Rogue Padron's interview with him. It was a good interview. Yes, I quite enjoyed that. We'll uh, have to put a link to that in the show notes. They ask him such important questions as, how dare you? Who gave you the right? And there were war crimes. And the nice thing is, unlike some Star Wars properties, it actually acknowledges that the war crimes are war crimes. Yes. I mean, it helps that we're in a society that has a legal definition of war crimes, unlike, say, Game of Thrones, where half of the war crimes are just, oh, yes, it's Tuesday. But yeah, it really delves into a lot of the implications of Operation Cinder. And it was just a really good exploration of the messy situation as the Empire falls. And that is why it is our joint favorite. <laughs> yes. Also, this is the Third section in a row where Harrison Dula has been mentioned. Yeah, because Hera is really the mascot of this podcast. Unofficial <laughs> mascot, Harrison Dula. Unofficial because we don't really want Lucasfilms to sue us. I'm not scared of Lucasfilm. I'm scared of the mouse. We love you, Disney. Please don't hurt us. Yeah, so what was your favorite book that wasn't Victory's Price? My other book that I really enjoyed this year was Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. An author I'd heard a lot about before and still haven't read her other books, but I definitely need to do that soon as well. So Daisy Jones and Six, which I listened to on audio, and it is such a good audiobook because the book itself is written as interview transcripts. So the fact that it turned into an audio production just makes so much sense. And they did get a full cast. So you have actors acting each role and it's just really enjoyable in audio. Uh, I do have the print book as well and plan to read it again in the future both ways because it was just that good a book. So it's a novel about a 1970s rock group that looks at the uh, forming of the band because Daisy Jones and the Six were a band called the Six and Daisy Jones, a vocalist who ended up pairing together for a single song that then took off. And so they ended up joining and becoming Daisy Jones and the Six. And then there was a massive breakup because they're all absolute messes of people. And they also should make better choices. <laughs> there's less war crimes in this one, <laughs> but there's a lot of bad choices made anyway. To be fair, it doesn't sound like it takes place in, the, in a theater of war. No, not so much. That's why Joffrey committed so few war crimes. He just committed regular crimes. It's just a really interesting book. Characters are intense. You get a really good feel for them. I also really wish that they were real and I could listen to these, these songs because they sounded really good. They do have some of the lyrics in the books, but I would love someone, or maybe this exists, someone has made a fan 
version of this actual album. One of those cases where you can kind of imagine the music and maybe it's good that it doesn't really exist because then you can imagine it as amazing as possible. But yeah, that sounds like, yeah, it's just begging to be an audiobook. It really is. I've read a few other books. It reminds me a lot of the uh, Sylvan Newell's Waking Gods books, which are also transcripts and just worked so well on audio. So yes, highly recommend this book, especially the audiobook if you uh, are someone who likes audiobooks. And also audiobooks are totally reading. and. Yes, though that's how ways to experience books that you can do while walking your dog, which is also good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what did you like nonfiction wise? All right. There are lots of crimes in both of my nonfiction picks because, yes, I picked two because I like them both. And so my first one that I picked is Missing from the Village by Justin Ling. This one is about the uh, Bruce MacArthur, who was a serial killer in Toronto. And it's also about how the uh, authorities just ignored the uh, gay community when they said they thought there was a serial killer active. They were told, no, there's no evidence. And guess what? There was a serial killer. Yeah. Who was targeting gay men and most of them were immigrants. And unfortunately, their disappearances weren't taken seriously enough, but... What? The police failed to properly investigate a crime involving a marginalized community? Who would have guessed? Two marginalized communities, actually. Yeah. And I mean, it it is telling that the disappearance that really blew things up was when he killed a white man. Oh, the police. So it's it's nice to me. Justin Ling did, you know, five years of in-depth reporting on this whole story. And so he's someone who knows it really well, has talked with people in the community and is is trusted by them. I just thought he did a really good job at not just talking about the, you know, the crimes themselves, but also about who the men who were killed were and about the story of the community at the time and the story of police failure, how the gay community failed its own and the story of the eight men who went missing and the lives they left behind. I listened to this on audio as well. It was read by Justin Ling and he's a very good speaker. I'd actually heard him on podcasts before. Uh, so I was lo- really looking forward to this book when it came out, though I knew it was going to obviously be a hard read. And it also got particularly eerie at times. So I lived in Toronto for oh, like five years or so. And every now and then you would talk about specific location. I'm like, I know where that is because I have been there. It's weird living in a city people write about. Yeah, let's just say that uh, also a few of the places were places that we have actually gone together. Good times. Mount Pleasant Cemetery made some appearances. Yeah, yeah, we go there pretty often. Yeah, it was very eerie at times, but uh, obviously it's an important story and it was a story that was very well told. So I'm glad it's not always the easiest thing to listen to, but it's uh, something that I think is important. Yeah, yeah, it is an important case. So uh, uh, I'll do my second one after you do your first and only. You didn't cheat in this section. And this is the one entry on my list that involves no war crimes. Yay! It's hard to have war crimes when war hasn't been invented yet. That is true. Because my favorite nonfiction book of the year, and that would be what I just talked about in our last episode, is Kindred, Neanderthal, Life, Love, Death, and Art by Rebecca Wright Sykes which was a positively fascinating exploration of essentially why everything you think you know about Neanderthals is probably wrong. Because it's looking at their culture, 
their diet, their interactions, and how all of that was much more varied than we initially assumed, and how a lot of our Ice Age-based conceptions about Neanderthals aren't accurate because they were around for a freaking long time. Mm-hmm. And most of that time frame that they were on Earth for wasn't the Ice Age. Because, of course, the big question everyone always has is, so what happened to them? And for a long time, the popular assumption was that, well, they couldn't adapt when the Ice Age ended. But they had adapted to many, many, many Ice Ages ending before. So it must be more complicated than that. And by the way, the answer is we have no freaking clue. Oh, good. It's like the biggest question in Neanderthal research at the moment. But we know that they were far more complex than we give them credit for. And of course, we now know that they didn't entirely disappear because we've all got Neanderthal DNA. (laughs) Because it turns out humans being willing to sleep with anything, not just for science fiction. (laughs) We absolutely got busy with Neanderthals. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, uh, I think it's 23andMe that actually gives an estimate of how much of your DNA is from Neanderthals. Yeah, the pronunciation has shifted. Like Neanderthal is generally the preferred pronunciation these days because they were discovered in the Tall Valley. But it's also really hard to remember to say it that way if you don't talk about them very much. It took me like a month and a half to get through because it is a dense read but it's a dense read because it is just packed with fascinating information and no war crimes yay all right well i have put that on hold from the library i'm actually quite disappointed to see that it the audiobook is an audible original and i don't have an audible subscription because i switched to kobo because it's not amazon yeah most of my nonfiction reading is actually done on audio. I tend to like audiobooks for nonfiction. I don't listen to a lot of fiction on audio. I uh, do occasionally, but... Especially if it's a format that would lend itself well. See Daisy Jones and the Six. Yes, yes. That one I particularly read be- that way because I'd heard so many good things about the audiobook. That makes sense to me. So, surprising no one. My second pick, one, probably has some war crimes and was on an audiobook. It is another book with a title that just begged to be read, which would be A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Yeah, I need to read this book. By Emma Southern, narrated by Sophie Ward, who did a very good job. And so it's an entertaining and informative look at the unique culture of crime, punishment, and killing in ancient Rome. Uh, Involves a lot of emperors getting killed. I mean, in one 50-year period, 26 emperors were murdered. That's a lot. I feel Totalis Regium should have implemented a category for best death. Yeah, that would be hard to pick, though. I mean, it would just be scoring that there are some good emperor deaths, like Caracalla. I'd also think you maybe you should get a, a bonus point for not being murdered. It's hard. Particularly if you're only counting ones that we can categorically say were not murdered, because there were a few, like, probably Augustus wasn't murdered, but... Maybe he was. And then there's a lot of clear-cut stabby-stabby. Yeah. Often by the Praetorian Guard. Yeah, don't get Praetorian Guards. Praetorian Guards are not good. You should not trust them. I'm now sad that, you know, Star Wars has a thing called the Praetorian Guard, and they've never killed an emperor. It is very disappointing. They have one job. Emperor killing. Come on. Get with the program. Praetorians, 
Good grief. Wait, wait for them to take a leak and stabby stabby. But actually, while the emperor's being murdered and, and, you know, obviously Julius Caesar being assassinated are like the big stories everyone's heard of, the book actually did talk a lot about other things, just how Romans viewed life, death, and their unique view of crime and punishment. I don't believe they had a definition of a war crime, uh, but I'm sure there were some in there because Rome was not exactly a forgiving happy nice state no i mean julius caesar at one point put down a slave rebellion and then crucified a slave every like 100 meters or something so there there's your war crime yeah crucifixion is bad yeah and i'm sure there was some perfidy yeah emma southern's style is just really relaxed and engaging i mean she even actually references rex factor at one point in the book and it's hilarious it's Sort of you have a kind of pop culture way to look at something that is zero you know, ancient history. She has a book about Agrippina as well, and I plan to read that. Add that to my pile of books I want to read this year. It is a big pile. We'll see how far I get. Hopefully at least a 60. Yeah. I mean, I'm still shelving stuff as shame pile 2K19. Yeah, I've got a lot of books. So my mother gave me a biography of Henry the seventh for Christmas and reference the fact that it's going to go on the shame pile. And I'm like, well, yes, but I will try to get to it sooner rather than later. Though I do have a biography of Margaret Beaufort that I'd like to read first. And maybe that will be on my favorite books of next year, assuming that I actually get to it, which I I, I can safely say I am going to get to those, those two. Those are priority one books on my list as well as the books that I bought with my Christmas gift cards. And then I will feel better about getting books and not just letting them linger. I think the next thing I read will probably be the book that I'm currently using to pop up my my microphone. (laughs) I mean, books have many uses in our lives. I'm almost done my YA contemporary. And I'm using a Star Wars book, and that feels like more of a sure bet for me liking it. Anyway, so our final category of favorite books is graphic novel and comics, where neither of us cheat. Amazing. Well, let's just say that Dr. Afra comic wasn't making it. Sorry, Dr. Afra. But speaking of war crimes, <laughs> I don't know why this is the year of war crime. I blame Tess. Yeah, Tess, all your fault. How could you? This was actually a bit of a surprising development, but my favorite graphic novel of the year was the new Firefly comics from Boom Comics written by Greg Pak. Fireflies had tie-in comics before, published by Dark Horse. They were kind of hit or miss, but there's been this new run with Greg Pak. So fun fact, when Greg Pak was approached about doing these comics, he had only seen Serenity and not watched Firefly. So he kind of went, I don't think I'm the guy you want for this project. And his agent said, look, at least watch the pilot. So two days later, he comes back, having binge watched the entire series, going on about how excited he was about the thought of deconstructing the war hero and all of this. And and they just said, so is this your pitch? You haven't actually agreed to do this project yet. So yeah, so that's where our war crimes come in. You know, looking at you know deconstruction of the hero, how we see the actions, depending on what side we're looking at. And I feel the need to note that the reason I originally 
went looking for these is the Tumblr algorithm kept feeding me the same preview page for a later issue that involved a robot who looked like Wash and them ending up on Earth. And out of context, it looked like it was going to be terrible. And then I had feelings. So many feelings. And one interesting development is I didn't not ship Malin and Ara in the show or anything, but I shipped them way more in these comics. Yeah, I mean, there were some issues with them in, in the source material, which, well, as anyone who has uh, watched a lot of projects by he who must not be named, I will recognize as familiar things in his works. And yes, Greg Pack avoided that. Good for Greg Pack. So I actually got really invested in their relationship, which is unfortunate because that also meant them being them. It hurt. Yeah, new ways to hurt you. Good job, Greg Pack. And he has somehow made the destruction of Haven even more painful. So they, they were really good, but I would like to know who gave him the right. And also how I'm having this many feelings about story arcs that on the surface sounded so bad. No matter how dumb the idea, execution does make a difference and some things can work that you wouldn't think would. I have a lot of feelings about the washbot too. We should also now be hoping that uh, Greg Pack and Alexander Freed never hang out together. Greg Pack's written for Star Wars too. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean they've hung out together and plotted against us. Yeah, that's true, yes. Let's keep them very, very far apart. Yeah, no collaboration. Not, not allowed. Yeah, also stay away from Ron D. Moore. Just on principle. Oh God, if either of them wrote a Battlestar tie-in. Yeah, there's also war crimes in it too. So what, what was your top graphic novel? Did it have war crimes? No, there were absolutely no, no war crimes at all in this one. So this year I read a lot of books by Lucy Nidalee. And so I knew that one of them had to be the one in this spot. It took me a while to figure out which one. And ultimately I decided to go with Kid Gloves because it is the one I read first. So the three books I read of hers were Kid Gloves, Something New and Relish. And all of them, they're biographical graphic novels. But Relish was written first, and then Something New, and then Kid Gloves. So I read them in reverse. I remember at one point I realized that I had three books on my wish list at Indigo, and I suddenly realized that they were all by the same author, and was like, well, maybe I should just buy one of these. And I think Kid Gloves was the one that was in stock, so I started with it. Yeah, that actually keeps happening to me with T. Kingfisher. Mm, yes, yes, I heard a lot about him. Her? It's Ursula Vernon's pen name for writing kids' books that aren't really kids' books. Kids' books that they won't let her publish as kids' books. <laughs> so her less whimsical stuff. So, so Kid Gloves is called Nine Months of Careful Chaos. So Relish was about her love of food. Something New was about her wedding. And Kid Gloves is set after the wedding when she and her husband are trying to have a baby. And it turns out to be uh, not as easy as she thought. It's a pretty emotional read at times, but it's you know, really good, full of lots of really good information as well. And the art is adorable. And the Goodreads blurb talks about it, the moving, hilarious, and surprisingly informative memoir. 
But like, yeah, that that pretty much wraps it up. It is really great, and it was a great introduction to her. If I were to do it again, I might have started with might start with relish instead. But you know, honestly, it works. You don't really need to know what happened previously. I mean, anything you need to know, you get told. So please remember that you're talking to someone whose most successful Tumblr post is about the fact that the correct way to start reading Discworld is to just randomly end up with one of the books in your hand. And then find out there are 41 books. <laughs> well, there's not that many. She does have more books. I haven't read all of them. I, I think I had four books from her on my wish list without realizing it was the same author. Because you have a very large wish list. I do. It's true. And so, yeah, she, so she's great. I recommend everything she does because she's just a delightful person. And this one was not the easiest read, but it was still a very good one. Yes, those sound good. Yeah, that's kind of running theme throughout my whole, all my favorites is, well, Daisy Jones and the Six was probably the easiest of the bunch to read. Yeah, like Wizard's Guide didn't hurt. Like it deals with serious stuff, but it does it in a way that didn't have me reeling. It was just the media tie-ins that hurt. So we may not have read as much as we wanted to, but it was still a good year of reading. And maybe next year I'll read fewer war crimes. Yeah, that can be your resolution. It, I know it's a plan, but I feel like less war crimes in my fiction is a doable plan. I don't know. Just keep recommending stuff with war crimes. Okay, just stop taking recommendations from Tess and find something that is, is happier. So on that note, let's move into our happily ever after. All right, yes. Quick break and then it's HEA time. All right. So, and now that brings us to our HEA, a happily ever after, where we talk about things that have made us happy recently, or maybe less than recently, considering it's been a while since we recorded. Yes. So what's made you happy in the past, however long it has been? So there were many reasons the episode took a while to get edited, but one of them is my HEA, and that is the fact that one of the reasons the episode did not get edited in a timely manner is I actually saw my family. Hooray! Family is good. For the first time in two years. So I live in Toronto. Center of the universe. Yes. My parents and my brother and sister live in New Brunswick. Not the center of the universe. No, if there's a bright center to the universe, it's the province that it's farthest from. I knew you were going to do that. I love it. <laughs> I had to. So for a large chunk of that time, I have not been allowed in the province, which was a little unfortunate because, you know, it, it's not the most thrilling province ever, but there are a lot of people there that I really like. So in late November, I finally actually got to travel out and see them. We did Christmas dinner and we did two years worth of birthdays and we got to go hiking and my mom made sure I watched all the stuff on Apple TV that I was going to really like because apparently she also did that thing where she didn't get very far into something before realizing I needed it. Mm -hmm. And in this case, this was the show Schmigadoon. Were there war crimes in it? No, there were songs. About war crimes? No. <laughs> all right. So we should take more recommendations from mom. Yes. And less from Tess. Yes. But mom will recommend me musicals, which only... Yeah. Now try to figure out how many musicals have war crimes in them. There, there are some. Definitely some. 
Looking at you, Les Mis. Yeah. But not as many musicals have war crimes. Yes. Schmigadoon is there is more a parody of like your classic 50s musicals. So no war crimes, but catchy songs about sperm. Sure. Yeah. As one does. So it's one of those great meta musicals, TV shows, and it was a lot of fun. And we had to watch the come from away pro shot. And it was just I am blessed with a family I actually like. So it was really nice to actually get to spend time with them. It irks to not be permitted to see your family. Yeah, yeah, that would suck. I am lucky enough that a fair number of my immediate family are in the same city. Yeah, that, that's optimal. Unfortunately, while New Brunswick is a lovely place, job market, kind of rubbish. <laughs> my mom did spend half the trip trying to convince me to move there. But yes, it was a lovely trip and I'm glad I got it before COVID got worse again. <laughs> Yes, I'm very glad that you got out there in November and were well back before December hit. And also, as a convenient side effect, the uh, fact that it took you so long to edit the podcast helped resolve my guilt over taking so long to edit the episode before that. But hopefully in 2022, we will be a little better about editing the podcast. Yeah, we'll break the curse and uh, move forward. So what's making what's made you happy in the past month and a half? <laughs> uh, well, this is actually pretty recent because uh, it's only been out for a couple weeks. But I am actually caught up with something because I watched season two of The Witcher. Ooh! So we tossed many coins and we are good. Uh, it was, so season two is based on the first novel of the series, which does mean that finally we're kind of in sequential storytelling with a plot that takes place over the entire season and all the characters exist in the same part of the timeline. What a novel concept. Yeah. Also, Siri gets to do stuff other than run away. Yay, Siri. So yeah, Siri is great. I love her. I hear she thinks of nothing but murder all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Though my heart belongs to Yaskir because he is a delight and... He has some really great moments in this season, so he that not disappoint. Yay! I have not watched it yet, but I, I love me some Yaskier. Yes, yes, and uh, he turns out, let's just say he uh, has interactions with a character who isn't Geralt, that's all I'll say, and turns out to be an excellent comic duo with this other character, and I could just watch them all day. Does Geralt now hate his life? When does Geralt not hate his life? Okay, that's fair. That's like Geralt's whole existence is hating his life and trying to get bleeped by RTD2, but he's not going to on this show because we have class sometimes. And we aren't talking about soaring keys. I'd actually done a, a rewatch of season one because I read the first book. So season one was based off both short story collections, which is again, why it is so scattered and I kind of understand what it was doing. I think they made some mistakes. I would have had timestamps. I don't know so much about timestamps. I mean, watching it back, maybe they could have made them a little less subtle, but there are hints immediately that they are on in different time periods. Uh, the one I picked up most is that season one talks about the same battle by Queen Calanthe, and one of them is talking about it, it that it just happened like a month ago, and one of them is mentioning it that happened 20 years ago. Yeah, that, that was the big one I noticed the first time. The clues are there. It just does take a little bit and it, it could have been done better. My biggest thing is I think they waited too long to bring our main three characters together. 
Yeah, that, that can definitely be a problem. And it mainly hurt Siri, because Siri really was just sort of killing time until she finally got to meet Geralt. But in this season, she has met Geralt, and there is good payoff for that, and their relationship is pretty great. And so I, I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing what they do. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm planning on obviously finishing this short stories collection and then reading Blood of Elves, which is book one. And then hopefully I'll probably get ahead. So by the time uh, season three rolls around, I will be able to be like, oh, there's that change. And I understand it. And I also do have the Witcher 3 video game, which I will play at some point as well. So Witcher mania. Lots of witcherness. Yes. And all mostly inspired by Sophie from Mars, YouTuber, has a great series on The Witcher and also does mean I actually know a lot of big spoilers for the books because uh, she does go into the whole story. But her series that she released last year is the main reason I started reading the books, because I will say the books are very dated fantasy written by a white guy. And so they don't always age gracefully, but I think the broader themes are still pretty you know, interesting and sometimes progressive. And I'm looking forward to getting into the real meat of the story. Cause I said, I think he was writing the uh, stories for a few years and like publishing them here and there. And then finally got into writing the books. And I think that is probably the real meat of the series is going to be there. Yeah. I caught up on wheel of time. So I'm behind on the Witcher. Ah, I haven't started Wheel of Time and I probably won't for a while because I'm still behind on like 10 million other things. So I'll uh, try and catch up on some of them. Probably mostly the Star Trek because I've been into Star Trek recently. So we need to catch up on all our media this year, apparently. Yes, yes. Except, of course, the, uh, the Trek I happen to be watching right now is a rewatch of Deep Space Nine, which is not catching up because I have seen all of Deep Space Nine several times. Yes, I'm intending to catch up on Disco, so... <laughs> I had to catch up on Disco because I am two seasons behind now and I need to catch up on Picard and start Lower Decks. I'm a season and a half behind on Disco and I think I'm half a season behind on Lower Decks. So I'm not quite as bad as you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly bad, but... But it's January 1st, it's a whole new year. Yes, yes, and we shall do all the things we want to do this year and it will be wonderful. There will be less war crimes and more Star Trek. So on, on that benediction, we'd like to thank you all for listening. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash needs more words podcast. You can find us on Twitter at needs more words. Our website is needsmorewords.com, And maybe this will be the year that we keep up with updating that. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you hopefully more quickly than last time. Bye. Needs More Words is hosted by Vicki Martin and Margaret Hansen. This episode was edited by Vicki Martin. You can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at Needs More Words. <laughs>